It's like, dude, you don't have to guess, right? You don't have to make these really blind stabs in the dark or throw spaghetti on the wall. Like your customers will literally, literally tell you, here's the messaging that's going to resonate with me. These are all the places they hang out. Don't go worry about Reddit. I'm not there, right? Don't bother doing Reddit ads or being in Reddit forums. Maybe it's the same thing with LinkedIn, right? LinkedIn ads are really expensive. Don't even bother with that channel if they're not there. Welcome to the Product Business Podcast. This is a place where I interview bootstrappers and entrepreneurs who are selling software products online. And the goal is to help you whether you are thinking about maybe selling a product in the future, you are launching a product, or you're already generating lots of revenue. I am your host, Scott Bollinger. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a rating or click the subscribe button. In this episode, I talked to Corey about how they are moving the needle with growth at Bear Metrics, and he also has a very simple model for small product teams and bootstrappers to think about growth and marketing. This was very helpful for me as a technical person who struggles getting into the marketing mindset sometimes. He has two very simple things we should do. The first is talk to customers, learn what they need, and use that to inform both your website copy and what you're building. And the second is to build in public and not just posting screenshots of your UI on Twitter, but actually sell the dream of what you're building and what you are trying to achieve. And he uses Taylor Otwell of Laravel as a good example of doing this. We get more into that and also mental models, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Today I'm excited to have Corey Haynes, who is the head of growth at Bear Metrics. Corey, how are you doing today? Good, man. How are you doing? Good. How's the weather in San Diego? Uh, it's really fantastic, actually. I'm not going to lie. It's um, <laughs> It's been a little bit, uh, it's been pretty hot, actually, up until about last week. And now it's just, you know, 70s, high 60s, sometimes a little cloudy. Can't complain. Sweet. So uh, you are the head of growth over there at Bear Metrics. I'm excited to talk to you about that and some maybe some growth strategies that other bootstrappers and product makers can apply to their own businesses. Yeah. Um, and I'm also interested in uh, you write or you talk about mental models a lot too and how you apply mental models to your marketing strategies. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear that. Um, I, I don't know what the best place to start is. Maybe give us a quick rundown of your background and how you became the uh, head of growth at Bear Metrics. Yeah, sure. So um, super fortunate to be the head of growth for Bear Metrics. I was uh, I was a big fan of Bear Metrics and of Josh for years and years and years and years. I was um, like in college, you know, probably nineteen or twenty is when I first got introduced to kind of the whole world of entrepreneurship and especially tech. Um, and that's kind of when it was like on the rise and becoming a little bit more like popular. And uh, and so I started following. The blog of Barometrics started following Josh. Um, that's how I kind of found my first kind of circles of people to follow along with, podcasts to listen to. Um, and so then graduated college. I landed an internship at a startup here in San Diego called Cordial. Um, and then I spent about two years there, um, first as their kind of first marketing hire and doing everything and anything. It was like a, I call it my crash course in marketing because it was really like startup life, you know, long hours six, seven days a week, you know, we, I was doing all the things that I could to help and to contribute um, between conferences, events, webinars, ads. It was just like learn as you go, basically. 
um, kind of straight into the fire. And then uh, saw that Josh had, you know, posted that he was thinking about hiring someone for, you know, a marketing sales kind of hybrid role. Uh, and then so when he posted it, I just couldn't help resist, uh, couldn't resist myself, couldn't help it, and um, decided to apply. Very cool. So uh, since you've been at Bear Metrics, what kind of stuff have you guys been doing to kind of move the needle with growth? What's been working and what hasn't worked? Yeah, it, it's really interesting because uh, Bear Metrics is not a startup, right? We've been around for almost six years now. Uh, a small, we're, we're eight, uh, eight, eight people strong, remote, fully distributed, all sorts of different time zones. Um, but we're also not new, right? So we've, we've been in the game. And for the, the year before I came on board in December of uh, 2018, growth was pretty much stagnant. We were, they were hovering right around like 96 to 99,000 uh, MRR. And so coming in, um, it was a very like unique place I felt like to come in because uh, again, it wasn't new, but it also wasn't like, you know, things were going down, they weren't going up, it was just completely flat. And so the way I started to think about it was just taking like a really, what I call like a bottom up approach to growth. And so instead of starting with like, okay, now how can we start generating, generating more traffic or feeding the funnel? How do we convert more leads? I went all the way back to the beginning of like, how do we, uh, how do we, can we, how can we optimize our pricing structure? And can we just, you know, is there anything else we can do here? What other, you know, products do we have that we're not pushing um, or features or, or upgrades or anything else like that? That we can start to introduce um, or that we can upsell or that we can you know help our customers expand into um, you know also improving retention too retention is a huge part of growth especially for a SaaS and subscription-based business because that's literally what the entire model is based on um, and so thinking about you know having the whole company do support thinking about myself of what are the other retention strategies we can employ like maybe introducing more annual plans or incentivizing someone to stay for longer or looking at where people are dropping off and then figuring out why and how can we help them stay longer or you know, hopefully indefinitely. Um, and then finally, you know, getting to kind of that, uh, that bottom of funnel or like activation stage is what I like to call it of, uh, you know, how do we convert more leads? How do we make the most of our, our trial users and help them, you know, find their, their path to value and understand the, um, the power of their metrics. So, um, that's really how I've, I've started to approach it with this kind of bottom up, not starting at the top where everyone always does of like, let's launch a new ad campaign or do some sort of PR thing. You know, everyone, I think like the very most cliche marketing thing to do is to like day one, start either with a rebrand or a new website. <laughs> it really mm -hmm. just, it does not move the needle at all. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I, I've read Josh's posts on the struggles he's had with growth. And um, it's funny because it's, he, he always talks about, you know, the growth has been steady, but it's frustrating because you want to like see some explosions of growth here and there. Yeah. And it just hasn't happened. Um, although the, the last post I read from him was maybe, I don't know, a year ago or something, maybe even before you came on. Um, has any of that changed since you've come on? Have you guys seen any, any big things that have moved the needle or is it still just kind of steady growth? You know, it's, it's still steady and uh, and it's just part of it. I think one, it's, um, you know, part of just like what Bear Metrics is and how people find it and acquire. It. It's not like a here's this new shiny tool that's going to make explosive, uh, you know, it's this new growth hack thing or it's this new tool that unlocks this new crazy technology. Like people will get Bear Metrics when they're at a certain place in their journey with their business um, or they add it on. Right. It's, it's a very kind of, um, you know, we're dependent on, on their journey completely. 
Uh, and so it's been very steady. You know, one of the things that Josh told me when I first started was, he was like, look, I just, I'm not like a marketing and sales type of guy. Like I'm, my head is not there and I don't really like love doing it. So I just need someone who um, can be focused on it, right? Who can like day and night when, you know, when they wake up, they're thinking about growth. When they're going to sleep, they're thinking about growth. And who can just even devote like the mind share to it to be able to think enough about these problems and opportunities, uh, you know, to find these things that are that are going to unlock more growth. Um, and so one of the things I've noticed is, you know, we've, we've had very steady growth. We're sitting at around, you know, 114, 115 uh, K MRR right now. And um, is it's literally just putting in the time, putting in the time with trialing users, with customers, going back and forth in the email, reaching out, responding, following up, like, it's a lot of just kind of making these very incremental steps. They're going to compound over time. Um, and so I can talk about some of the specific things that we've done, but really it's just been like a combination of just really being hands-on and having more, uh, a lot more time into it. Right. I feel like I'm kind of on the same page as Josh. I'm uh, more of a technical guy and uh, my brain cannot do both technical and marketing at the same time. And so right. I find myself going through these periods where I will, I'll like write code and do nothing else but technical stuff for months. And then I'll be like, crap, I totally neglected my marketing. And then I have to like switch my brain and then I can maybe do some marketing for like a few weeks or months or, or whatever it is, but mm -hmm. I just cannot do both at the same time. So I totally feel his pain of why he reached out to you, why he hired you. Um, do you have any advice for, you know, maybe bootstrap products that have a small team that maybe don't have a dedicated marketing person mm -hmm. um, of what they can do to kind of combat that and make sure that they are working on growth simultaneously with like pushing code and doing product support and the things that like just keep the business going? Yeah, um, man, I have I have lots of thoughts, many thoughts. Uh, it's definitely a struggle. I don't have that struggle personally because I'm not a technical person, at least not yet. And so I can basically only think about marketing and sales stuff. Uh, but I understand completely because there are two completely different mindsets. You know, one is in product and it's in building. One is in promoting and is in getting people into the product. And you really can't do, uh, you know, either at the same time, like, like you mentioned. Um, so for any solo founder, any small team, uh, especially bootstrap teams too, who don't have a lot of, um, a lot of resources or capital or, or flexibility of, you know, outsourcing to an agency possibly or, or a contractor. Um, I would say uh, make sure that you're actually literally carving out that time to do the marketing and sales stuff. And one of the things maybe that, um, that a lot of people make the mistake of is uh, they think kind of in their prioritization hierarchy, well, I'm going to do the product first and then I'm going to do the marketing and then I'm going to, you know, do the support and the, and the whatnot, because it seems like, the logical order of things. But the reality is that if you do all the product stuff first, or maybe if you just kind of leave the marketing stuff uh, maybe too later in the week, or maybe don't devote enough time to it or as much time to it, um, it's really not going to have the same effect. You're not going to be able to devote enough time to it. Um, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? And so if you chip away at it each week of, okay, you know, Wednesday is my marketing day, or you know, Wednesday and Thursday is my marketing and sales day. And you just have those times cut out. I'm not going to do any product stuff. I'm not going to do any, you know, building or fixing or, or anything like that. And you just devote that time. Now you can at least give yourself the mind share to be able to think about that stuff. You're not thinking like, well, I'm going to just go back to building. Um, but two, you're going to be able to carve out that time. 
uh, one to be able to read um, and, and learn about what you need to be able to do, maybe connect with other people who are going through the same thing or someone like myself, maybe it's a little bit more marketing and sales minded who can help you out with those things. Um, and so really it's just making it a priority, I would say. Uh, don't make the mistake of kind of leaving it off until, okay, now that this thing is built, now we're going to go find people. Start early, like start even before you start coding, start validating, start talking to people, um, and then make sure you have that time carved out each week. Okay, so let's get into some specifics. So when I think of marketing, uh, it's kind of a broad topic, and you could be talking about many things. You could be talking yeah. about writing blog posts, tweeting on social media, uh, sending you know email newsletters, doing webinars, things like that. So if we were just going to focus on like one or maybe two things that would be just the best possible use of your time for like a small product team, um, you know, personally, I've done webinars. I've seen those do fairly well, especially with a product where you're demonstrating it. You can, uh, you know, the more you can do to demonstrate your product and get it in front of people, the better. Um, what do you think like the top like one or two, maybe three things you could be doing are if you have a limited time? Yeah, I know the perfect two things for you. It's going to blow your mind. Awesome. Are you ready? It's, it's one, ready? one, do customer research and talk to people. And two, it's to build in the open. Uh, one of my kind of indie hacker friends, he's actually here in San Diego too, Corey Gwynn, kind of coined this. Uh, he calls it makerting. And it's a kind of a mix of making and, and marketing. Anyways, I'll come back to that in a second. But one is to do customer research. And what I mean is getting on the phone, just like we're doing right now over like a video call, or two over a survey, or three just in like kind of um, online research over forums or or uh, you know niche communities, paid memberships, uh, or even just like masterminds uh, possibly, of literally sitting down with people and and understanding where they're at, asking them questions. You know, what are the problems that they're that they're experiencing? What are the pain points? What are the things that they struggle with? What do they wish existed out in the world? What do they desire to do and to achieve with their business or or with the, a certain part of their business? And then from that place, one, you're going to have a really solid understanding of what to build. And it's kind of, you know, 101 of user research and, and, and making a product. But that can also help you inform what the marketing things are that you should do. Because you can understand, um, hey, what's going to resonate with someone? Like what kind of language and messaging is really going to capture their attention and help them to understand that this is a product for them and not just for anyone or or possibly that it is for them, and uh, or or that it's not for them. I mean, and um, and then it's for someone else, right? And so if you understand who exactly this product is for, and you're in these communities and you're talking to these people, well, one, these people are going to possibly be customers one day because you're you're in there, you're, you're building relationships, you're talking with them. But two, you're going to understand exactly where to go to find these people. And so now with those people, you're going to get a really kind of grassroots movement of I understand them, I know them, these are my people, uh, they know me as well. And then I can ask them, hey, what are the other places that you go to? What are the blogs that you read? Who, who do you listen to on podcasts? Who do you go to for, for trust and for advice? Um, what do you wish people talked about more in the industry? Uh, what do you need help with, right? What are the things? Those are all blog post ideas. Those are all webinar ideas. Those are all um, you know SEO-driven uh, article ideas. Those are all ideas for ads you can run, right? All the things that they say can be literally copy and pasted onto your homepage as a header or as an ad on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook. Um, and so the customer research really is kind of like the foundation or it should be for all of your marketing, all of your sales, because that way you're not, uh, you're not guessing, right? That's one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of companies, uh, especially a lot of 
more product focused teams who maybe aren't as familiar with kind of the marketing and sales strategies and practices is that they'll build something and then they'll just guess or they'll kind of ex assume or maybe they'll experiment right? So to put a, a fancier word on it to see what works right and it's like dude you don't have to guess right you don't have to make these really blind stabs in the dark or throw spaghetti on the wall like your customers will literally literally tell you maybe they probably won't even be your customers yet but they will literally tell you here's the messaging that's going to resonate with me these are all the places they hang out don't go worry about reddit i'm not there right don't bother doing reddit ads or being in Reddit forms. Maybe it's the same thing with LinkedIn, right? LinkedIn ads are really expensive. Don't even bother with that channel if they're not there. Um, and then to bring it full circle with the, with the MakerDing idea, now that you have these people in your circle, now that you're with them, you're talking to them, just start building in the open, right? Start live streaming, start sharing blog posts, make a little Twitter uh, streamer thread, show little sneak peeks, images, screenshots of what you're building and why, the things that you're experiencing. Um, the things that other people are telling you and how that's informing why you're building it. And this will be a really easy way for you to uh, start doing marketing, right? You're just sharing what you're building and, and sharing it with the people uh, who care about it. And, uh, and it's just a really easy way to get started. It'll, it'll make you more comfortable with the idea of marketing as a whole. I love that. I've, I've done customer research and I can confirm that it is incredibly vital and eye-opening to your business. One of the problems that I have and I think other people struggle with is I just hate doing it. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like emailing a bunch of people to be like, hey, get on the phone with me or Zoom or whatever. Like most of them don't even reply. Maybe one or two do. Then you have to like schedule something. Then you have to actually get on the phone with them. And a lot of times it just becomes like support questions. Like, hey, thanks for yeah. uh, chatting with me, Scott, because I have this problem with my app that I need you to solve for me right now. Right. And it's like, well, okay, well, that really was the point of the call. But, you know, I'm, I have to do this now. <laughs> and uh, but. At the same time, you're right. You you are hearing from your customers of the language that they're using. You still get to ask them questions and stuff. It's just it's just a lot of work. That's not like coding or building or the stuff that I like to do. At least me personally. Right. Um, no, that's definitely you a have really any, real struggle. Yeah. Do you have any like suggestions on how to do customer development better? Mm -hmm. Like how to get people on the phone, how to guide the conversation, things like that. Yeah. Well, one, before I forget, I want to mention a, a book that's amazing and it, it walks you through step by step. It's called The Mom Test by, uh, I think I'm going to put your Okay. Yeah. I was, I was going to say yeah. Fitzgerald, but I knew that wasn't right. Um, yeah. Read The Mom Test. It's amazing. It's about how to ask the right questions. Um, but so you can go read that. I won't touch on, on how to do that part of it. What I would say though is um, you mentioned something that I've experienced firsthand, which is that you want to get someone on the phone. You want to ask some questions. And then the first thing they do is say, awesome, I'm glad you're here to talk to me because I had this bug or I had this glitch where you can tell me why this isn't working or, or why it looks off. And you're like, oh boy, here we go. Like, this is not what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and what I've learned is that the way that you frame it and the way that you pitch it to someone is just as important as like the questions that you ask and, and who you talk to even. So what I like to do is um, have a crystal clear, give people a crystal clear idea of what they should expect. So I usually frame it in a really casual way. I like to say that the first rule of customer research is that you don't talk about customer research. Like don't tell someone that you're researching or that you want to ask them some questions or that you want to uh, learn more about how they're using your app. I would just say, hey, 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm blocking out the next two weeks of my time to get to know my, my customers and users better. I'd love to spend 30 minutes with you just to better understand who you are and your business so I can build a better product for you. And then you can say with like a little maybe asterisk, we're not going to talk about the product specifically. It's just casual questions, you know, no pitches, uh, no technical stuff, just you and me. And then if you frame it like that in a really casual uh, uh, frame of mind where it's just, you know, two guys catching up, talking shop. And then you can ask these really specific questions that they don't really necessarily know that you're doing the cu this customer research. Um, one, it's going to get rid of all the bias maybe that they had. Two, it's going to also get rid of all the you know technical stuff or product problems. Um, but three, it's going to open them up to really give you the real honest answers that you need. Um, the stuff maybe that they wouldn't have even thought of, but because you asked those questions and because they're so open to it, if it's just two guys catching up, um, they're going to give you some really great insights that maybe you would have missed before. Hmm. That's great. So, and I like the piece about sharing what you're making publicly. So for a product company, sometimes you're working on something and you don't necessarily want to be showing it publicly though, because, um, like you'll get a flood of questions or like, it's not in the final state yet. And you don't want people to be like, Oh, that doesn't look very good. Or like, uh, why aren't you working on this other thing that I emailed support about two weeks ago right. or whatever it is. So, I mean, is that just kind of up to your discretion on, on what you share and don't share, or do you have any strategies behind that? Yeah, I think it, it obviously depends on you and your comfortability, you know, how much you're willing to share or what would be, you know, smart and strategic for you to share. Um, but there's definitely ways around it. You know, you can go kind of on one end of the spectrum of just like sharing everything, live streaming as you're coding, talk about your roadmap, what you're building, et cetera. That might work for maybe someone who's a little bit like earlier stage of just starting up, who maybe just wants to kind of garner some attention and they're not worried about what other people think. On the other side, you could be very cryptic and you could be very kind of um, strategic about the, the things that you share. I think someone who does a really good job of this is uh, Taylor Otwell of uh, Laravel. I know nothing about you know coding the Laravel framework. I know it's based on PHP, I think. But I do know that that guy has learned to be a great marketer because he shares all the time about not necessarily what he's building, but about the problems that it's solving and about the dream about what it's going to, uh, you know, what people can do with it. It talks about the, the problems, right, that people are experiencing, the pain points um, and how, you know, he wishes that there was something else. Uh, I've been sort of following like the, um, what's the latest one that, that he just came Oh, Vapor, right? Vapor, Service. Yeah. Again, I know nothing about it. But I know I have a little bit of insight into what people are experiencing, why people are so excited about it. And so he'll share these really cryptic kind of tweets or these little things about what it is, what people can look for. He'll talk about, you know, the, these dates of, you know, things being announced. Um, and you can if you you can do one or the other or you can do both. I think they're both great strategies. Hmm. I like that. I like how you said um, sharing like the, the problems that it's solving and like the dream of what it is going to be, not necessarily just taking like screenshots of the UI. Right. Know? Yeah, I like that. Cause that, then it kind of becomes marketing and I feel like framing it that way, I can kind of get behind it a little bit more even as a developer. Cause I'm like, here's the problem that I'm working to solve and here's what it can be when it's finished. If you frame it that way, instead of being like, I'm gonna, like do a marketing campaign on Twitter or something, you know, I, that just doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't register as well. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about mental models and you use mental models in the way that you think about your marketing. And, um, I read one of your posts and you said it was kind of a night and day shift for you. 
when you, you you kind of felt like you were flailing a bit and then you started using mental models and that kind of changed everything for you. I know next to nothing about mental models. Um, <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm curious and I would love to hear more about that and how you frame your marketing thoughts with that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, especially like when I was first starting, you know, and like kind of like learning on the job, learning on the fly, it was super frustrating because um, not only did I have to learn, you know, how to actually go and execute on that thing, but I also had to learn like, why are we doing this? And what's the best way to go about thinking it? And how do we kind of be more strategic about it? I think a lot of people can get really caught up and mixed up in like this treadmill of experiments and marketing things. And I'm just, I just need to do more and more and more. And I need to post things and share things and, um, but really not understand why they're doing it and like what what are the things that they can expect to get out of it and so mental models um so a mental model is a framework or just kind of a simple way of thinking about something um so basically it's just here's a thing that i want to achieve or here's a problem that, ex that i'm experiencing and a mental model helps you see it in a way where you can break it down to maybe it's more kind of fundamental elements and then think about different ways you can go and solve that thing and so mental models for me have been really important uh especially for marketing because uh, in marketing, especially, well, actually, I would say in product stuff too, but there's always the new shiny object. There's always the new growth hack, the new framework, the new uh, technology or the new tool, right, that someone wants to use. And you can get really caught up in this and not really go anywhere. You just end up spinning your wheels. Um, so mental models for me have helped me think a lot more strategically about uh, here are the things that we're going to do. Here are the things that we're never going to do and that are not going to work for us. And then how do we do these things in the best way so that we're not just putting noise out into the world, right? But we're actually sending out a signal that's gonna resonate with people. We're gonna do it in the right way. Um, you want me to go into a couple that have been- uh, Yeah, specific me? examples would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So um, this is a kind of fundamental one and it's, uh, it's easier to understand, but um, it's just the first principles model. By the way, I'm not an expert in any of these things. Like these have just been like helpful for me. Uh, but the first principles model um, I don't know who coined it or where it's from, but Elon Musk talks a lot about it. And basically it's how do you break something down into its most fundamental core elements and then reconstruct it in a way that was better than before, right? So Elon Musk gives the example of uh, when he wanted to start, um, you know, sending people out into space and do rocket ships and stuff. Uh, he figured that rocket ships were way too expensive to do it as like a commercial kind of ex uh, experience. And so what he did was he used the first principles to say, to go all the way back into rocket science and figure out how to reconstruct a rocket and a system of building and reproducing and fixing rockets that would make it so it would be commercially viable. In the same way with marketing, right? Um, uh, we can just go out and we can blast out a tweet. Uh, we can do a Facebook post. We can write a blog post. But if you break it down into what am I actually trying to achieve here? At the core of a blog post, of a tweet, of a Facebook message, it all comes down to a message, a specific thing that you want to say to a specific group of people, and then a call to action, right? What is the thing you want someone to leave with that thing? And now when you think about it that way, maybe what you should be doing instead is, um, I don't know, some other kind of channel, or maybe you can try to fix it and model it in a way where now instead of just kind of doing this thing, you can be much more intentional about it. Um, uh, another one that I like to give with uh, principal principles is, if no one had taught you how to do your job, how would you do it? Like now that you've kind of been in it and been doing it for a while, right? In the same way with, with marketing or even with building a product, like 
if you had never experienced this before, if you have, if you had never used it before, if you had never seen this before, what would you want it to say? How would you want it to feel? How would you want it to work? How would you want your experience to be? And so going all the way back, it's, you know, the first principle is basically rewinding, going all the way back to the beginning and just saying, how would I want this thing to work? Um, another great one that's a lot more practical and kind of actionable, it's not as theoretic, uh, is a framework I like to call, um, it's the uh, pain dream fix framework. And basically it's a way of uh, copywriting and just kind of resonating with people. And so what a lot of makers do, especially, and it's not any of their fault, a lot of marketers do it too. In fact, most marketers do it, is that they'll start with all the technical specifications, right? It has, um, you know, it has this shiny object over here. Um, it uses machine learning, uh, the latest technology, it's built on the blockchain, et cetera. And here's what you can do with it. And then someone's reading this and they're like, why would I care about that? Or is this for me? I don't even understand who this is for. So the pain dream fix model helps you one, start with what are the pains that someone's experiencing? What are the problems uh, that they're going through? What's the thing that's broken in their system or in their life that they're trying to fix? Um, and then you talk about the dream, right? So what is the ultimate thing that they're trying to achieve? You talk about, you know, imagine if it was this way. You talk about this perfect world, kind of this end result that they want to get to, right? So maybe if it's like, uh, I'll give Barometrics as an example, you could start with, hey, are you sick of crunching numbers and spreadsheets and trying to go back, fix things, figuring out, you know, where uh, each row goes and why something's not adding up correctly? And I talk about what if there was a software that did that crunch all the numbers for you, it's going to look amazing, work amazing, we're going to keep updating it and, uh, and make it better for you. And then you introduce the fix or the solution. And then you talk about the, uh, basically what your product is and how it works. Now I can talk about metrics. Once I've introduced the pain and the dream, and you say, hey, all you have to do is connect your data source and you get in, set some goals. Uh, you can go through and you can see all your metrics and a cohort analysis and here's what, why that matters. And now people have a lot more context to understand why they should care about this. Um, and it's just a much easier way of explaining something to someone. I like that. This is uh, probably the original sin of product makers is that they <laughs> always start with the technology. And I am guilty of this more than once. And I honestly, even hearing and reading about this time after time, I still to this day, like I start with the technology just because that's what excites me. Right. And, and that's what I'm interested in. But then you completely lose touch with, well, this is not what other people care about. They care about their pain and how you're going to help fix their pain. Yeah, exactly. And to bring it full circle a little bit, like going back to the customer research really quickly, this is where it becomes so vital because if you're starting from scratch, again, if you're guessing, if you're just trying to put this together yourself and you're even trying to go through a framework like the pain dream fix framework, and you're just trying to think like, okay, well, I think this is probably what someone is experiencing, or I think this is the problem that it's solving. Again, you're just making a guess. But if you're, if the people you talk to personally, if, if they've said out of their own mouths or they've typed it onto a keyboard and said, here are my pains, here are the problems that I'm experiencing. Here's the way that I wish that I wish that it would work, man, that is great copy. Like it's literally just copy and paste over there. Just, just funnel it over the right places. And now you have your whole landing page written for you. It makes it a lot easier. Mm, definitely. So we've talked about doing customer research for, for, for small product teams, doing customer research is vitally important. And uh, you can frame that in a casual way so that you don't turn them into support calls. You can get some customer research going. You can get some copy, copy for your web pages. You get the problems that they're 
thinking about, and that can go into like tweets and uh, also guide your product development and things like that. And then when you uh, are creating your product or new features or whatever, you can share that as, uh, as a type of marketing and not just sharing screenshots and stuff, but actually sharing the pain that people are experiencing using their language. And then you can share the dream of what it is actually solve the problem that it's solving, what it's fixing. I really like this. And I feel like this is almost like, <laughs> maybe I'm totally wrong with this, but this is all, this is some type of model in itself, right? Of like yeah, how to do absolutely. marketing for small product teams. This is uh, I don't know if you'd call it a mental model, but it's some type of model. Interesting. Is there like a, like a book or a resource you really like on mental models? Um, I'll, I'll share, uh, so, a, I guess it would be like a blog or maybe like a network. Uh, it's Farnham Street blog. Um, and he has a podcast th- called The Knowledge Project. It's uh, Shane Parrish. He talks a lot about uh, mental models. I think he actually came out with a book, like kind of like a thesaurus of mental models. Um, I haven't read it. I've just kind of been like piecing it together and like making a collection of these over time. Um, but I'd probably start there. I think he probably has the best resources on that. I think James Clear has a couple of good resources on mental models too, if you want to just Google James Clear mental models. Do you use a mental model for your own personal management, managing yourself and your time? Do you say like, what would I, like when you said, what would my job look like if no one told me how to do it? Do you use that to sort of be like, here are the things I should be focused on and here's the amount of time I'm going to spend on them throughout the day? Yeah. um, Maybe not like during the day, but I think for different seasons or projects, definitely. Like I mentioned before, kind of the, this bottom-up approach to growth that I've been taking and that, that we've been doing for Bear Metrics, um, that's kind of a mental model or like a framework of sorts in and of itself because uh, the the funnel that I like to use or the way to think about it is uh, the Pirate Metrics. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the AARRR framework, um, but basically it's a way of thinking about your funnel instead of like um, uh, instead of like you know awareness, consideration, decision, etc. It's breaking it out even after the, the, the decision point. So you have acquisition at the top, right? That's how do you find people maybe who are a good uh, a good target for your, for your product. Activation, how do you get someone into the product and to experience it? Retention, how do you keep your customers, right? Referral, how do you get your customers to go get you more customers? And then revenue, how do you adequately monetize, uh, upsell, you know, and expand, help your, help your customers, um, uh, you know, grow into your product. This has to do with like pricing, et cetera. Um, and so basically I started with the bottom up to it. So in the very beginning, right, started all the way with like revenue, looking at our pricing model, uh, looked at like our referral programs and kind of thought about what are some other ways we can introduce uh, or incentive for our customers to share with others. Retention, absolutely. Um, now I think I'm, I'm a little bit more focused on the activation and the acquisition side of things. So I'm really heavily invested and involved with every single trialing user, or at least I try to be, uh, with acquisition, doing a little bit more blog posts, webinars, um, sharing, getting out on podcasts like these as well. Um, and so it's more about seasons, maybe not day to day, but definitely there's some some good ways to think about, you know, what should I be focusing on right now? And what are the things that are going to help move the needle? Hmm, interesting. So we've talked about a few different things, your approach to growth, how small product teams can apply this to their business, uh, mental models. What have we not covered that you are excited about, if anything? Um, that's a good question. I think one of the things that has me really excited right now is just 
Um, I'm really excited about retention and maybe some ways that people don't necessarily think about retention because one of the things that um, that I've noticed in my time at Bear Metrics and through talking with all of our customers and also being able to see everyone's metrics, um, I had that privilege and don't worry, I'm not going to share with anyone. We're, we have a privacy <laughs> policy and in terms and conditions, but uh, churn is kind of like the dirty secret in like the SaaS and subscription world. No one's churn is where they want it to be. No one's proud of their churn numbers. Um, you hardly ever, uh, you know, get someone to, to share their churn numbers. We have all our metrics uh, publicly available. So you can go look at them. It's just demo.bearmetrics.com if you want to see. We've been doing that for years. Um, but it's so hard to to think, like kind of to admit to yourself that, hey, we have a churn problem. And then to really strategize about like, what are the things that we can do in order to fix this? Um, so a couple of things that I've just been thinking about and just been mulling over and I would encourage a lot of people to think more about is uh, one, to just get the quick wins and basically just introduce the things that you can. They're, they're going to help churn, like no matter what, like, you know, these things are going to work. So just put them in place. One is a dunning process. So for all the failed charges, expired credit cards, um, you know, uh, basically it's called what we call delinquent churn if someone involuntarily, you know, basically you have to shut them out of your app because they're no longer paying you. Um, introduce a dunning process. We have an add-on product for that at your metrics, quick plug. Um, but basically get an automated system to take care of that for you. Usually that cuts churn, um, in half or by a third or by, you know, 20, 25%. So that's a really quick, quick, quick win you can introduce. Um, another one is, is to do uh, exit surveys. So whether it's one-on-one -on -one for each customer that, that requests to cancel, or if you have a uh, kind of self-serve way for someone to cancel, introduce some sort of way to capture some qualitative data points around why are people canceling? What are the reasons? What are they saying? When are they doing it? Um, that's so important, right? You know that people are leaving um, and a lot of people rack their brains of like, how do we, how do we decrease churn? How do we get more retention? It's like, just ask them, like, why, why, why are you spinning your wheels and trying to, you know, theorize and strategize about all these different things? It's like, just get down to the root of it. Just ask them face to face. An exit survey is a great way to do it because right in the moment of when they're canceling, you can ask them that question. You know, afterwards, it's a lot harder, especially like one-on-one -on -one over the phone, because they might not want to tell you. They'll probably lie about why they canceled. They'll say that. It was the boss's decision or uh, it was a budget thing or, um, you know, they had to retool or restructure or they got this other deal with this other company. Um, but if you can get them to honestly say and anonymously say the reason why they're canceling, I mean, that is powerful. Over time, that'll collect. You'll get some amazing data points. You don't have to guess. Um, another part of it, too, is just thinking about uh, how can we incentivize retention? Annual plans. I mean, monthly is nice, right, because it's recurring. Usually it's a little bit of a higher price point. But a discounted annual plan where you can lock someone in for a year and get uh, get that commitment up front, I mean, is powerful, right? It's it's a mental switch when someone goes from month to month to annual because they're no longer thinking like, well, if this doesn't work out, I can just always, you know, kind of go off to some other tool or, you know, are we still using it? Yeah, we're still using it. But if it's a year, right, they're locked in. They're in, they're in it. They're going to use it. They're going to invest in it. They're going to get their team members to use it. Um, and so those are three tips that I would share for, for uh, all the bootstrappers out there. Awesome. Corey, uh, this has been great. Picked up some very practical tips from you. Thanks so much for being on. Where can people find you? Yeah. So uh, if you need subscription analytics metrics, go to bearmetrics.com. Uh, if you start a trial, I will personally reach out to you. Uh, reach out to me if you'd like to. Also, it's just Corey at bearmetrics.com. Um, you can also find me on Twitter. Mainly that's kind of where I hang out. Uh, my personal website is coreyhaines.co. 
And, um, yeah, it's probably the best places. Cool. All right, Corey, thanks for being on. Thank you.